Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. My name's Eben, and Sarah and I have the honor of serving as lead pastors here at Vineyard Cleveland. And so we're really glad that you're here. And we're going to continue our series on invitations from Jesus. And what we're looking at through the course of the series is how Jesus is the invitation himself. Like we said right off the bat, that Jesus, we belong to Jesus. He's the invitation himself, and he's also the inviter at the same time. Jesus is always initiating with us. He's the great inviter, he's the great initiator, and he's always making the first step towards us. And so we're learning through the series that Jesus is handing out little invitations in our walks with him into certain things. He may be calling you to forgive that person that's really hard to forgive. He may be calling you to, inviting you to start a new business. He may be inviting you into all different types of things. And those invitations are just about as different uh, from one another as the person sitting next to you in the chair next to you. He's handing out different invitations throughout the course of this summer, and as the preaching team gathered, we sensed the Holy Spirit's voice on receiving and responding to Jesus' invitations, and that Jesus is the main invitation. Like he, like just to spend time with Jesus, just to spend our lives on Jesus is worth it. And so last week we talked about receiving the invitation and we compared like graduation invitations that we get in the mail to this thing of receiving invitations from Jesus. And this is the second part of that talk. Um, Receiving and responding are actually two different uh, sides of the same coin or two different micro decisions that happen in the process of responding to Jesus' invitation. So last week, implicit in that talk was um, that uh, d- definition of what is the invitation for you. And we, we, can't, we said that we can't name that for you. you. You know, Jesus is extending an invitation to you that might be different from the one that he's giving to me. And the big thought for today as we look at responding and having a responsive heart to God, the big thought is that whatever it might cost you, opening the door to Jesus, saying yes to him, is everything. He is so worth it, you guys. Subpoint: In the process of responding to Jesus' invitation to worship, we're changed from the inside out transformed into becoming like him. He's worth it. So if you take nothing else from today, I pray that you walk away believing and encouraged that Jesus is worth whatever cost you have to pay to get him. To be in relationship with Jesus is everything. Last week we said you can't respond to an invitation you've not received. And to receive an invitation doesn't always mean that you'll be able to respond affirmatively. Today we're looking at what it means to respond to the invitation that we've been extended. And next week, 
we're going to have the privilege of hearing Karen Miller speak. She's going to be speaking on the intimacy of the invitation. And like we said, we took a general approach at first, and now we're kind of personalizing it with receiving and responding and, and intimacy. And then we'll move into greater purpose, an eternal focus, a mission attached with the invitation. So if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to listen to the podcast. It's up there. Kaylee updates it every Monday, and so it's available for you wherever you guys listen to podcasts. And here's a killer first slide, no pun intended, to hear from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the next one. This quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany, was ultimately martyred, uh, martyred by the Nazi re regime, said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Really cheery thought for us this morning, isn't it? Like, way to just knock it out of the park on the first slide. You know, who, who, who here would like to receive an invitation through the mail for death, Right? And this is the invitation that Jesus is extending to every person on the face of the earth. It's going to cost us something, everything indeed, to follow Jesus. And ideally, ideally, we like to feel, we like to say that the more that you love someone, the more that you know someone, the easier it is to say yes to that person. How many of you are married? That was a joke. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to say yes to the people that we love. Isn't it? If we're really honest, and that's what we get from this very disarming quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, it's really hard. Ideally, in our head, the ideal version of ourselves thinks that it's easy to say yes to Jesus. And granted, he's easy to love. Jesus is an easy one to love. He's precious in every way. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's the most powerful. He's an amazing person to love. He's easy to love. Why are his invitations so difficult to receive sometimes? We're going to take a look at some of that this morning. Our beloved's invitations come at a cost to us. It may cost us in a number of different ways. It may cost us in the death of our pride to humble ourselves. It may cost us in our finances to follow Jesus. It may cost us in our relationships But one thing is sure, it's going to cost us if we're going to claim Jesus as Lord. As we respond to him, it costs us something. We read about this in the scriptures in Mark 1. If you have your Bibles and you wanted to turn there with me, we're going to be flipping around a little bit today. We're going to land in Matthew if you want to put a finger there. But in Mark, when Jesus calls his disciples, we read this in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. 
at once or immediately, they left their nets and followed him. For Andrew and Simon, following Jesus cost them their livelihood. They were fishermen, fishing the Sea of Galilee for a living. They weren't like angling for fun or fly fishing. They were fishing to put food on the table for their family. And along strolled this guy named Jesus. And Jesus extended an invitation to Simon and his brother Andrew and said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And Simon and Andrew's response to that invitation was to drop everything. Somehow in that exchange, somehow all of, and I don't know the ins and outs of it, but somehow through Simon and Andrew's history and their story with God, you know, their, um, their invisible kind of personal story with God that they've been journeying since they were little children, something there clicked. When that man Jesus walked by that day and said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men, something clicked for Simon and Andrew that they dropped everything, their livelihood, and said, yes. We're responding to your invitation. Something clicked for them to the degree that they dropped everything because they saw that Jesus in that moment and for their lives was worth it. He was worth it. And so when we talk about responding to Jesus' invitation and when we talk about uh, what it means to say yes to Jesus, a lot of this is based in worship. A lot of this is based in worship. Who or what we give our time to, our, um, our fascination to, it's all based in worship. And we all choose someone or something or to worship in our lives. The old singer-songwriter Sage, Bob Dylan, used to say, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. Our hearts were created to worship, to be filled up with fascination somewhere. Our hearts need an outlet to express, express worship to someone or something. More on that in a little bit, but we're, we're made to worship. We're created to worship. And so a lot of this response to Jesus and giving our yes to Jesus is based in worship. It centers around whether or not you and I believe that Jesus is really worth it. Responding to God for you and for me is centered on whether you and I believe is Jesus really worth it. Then, if he is, this decision by Simon and Andrew and any invitation that Jesus sends to you suddenly becomes clear. It suddenly becomes clear, if he's really worth it, then there's no cost that I won't pay to respond to Jesus by saying yes. Don't you find the same dynamic working out in your heart? 
And although it's costly responding to Jesus, Jesus is telling the disciples here, Simon and Andrew, that it's going to be worth it, that he's going to make them fishers of men. I mean, what could be a higher calling than that? What could be a greater invitation than the one that Jesus has set before the disciples and the one that Jesus extends to us today? Could there be any greater invitation on planet earth than the one to follow Jesus? The life that awaits Simon and Andrew and the disciples, what Jesus is saying is that that life that awaits them will be far better than the life uh, his invitation is calling them to leave behind. Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Present your bodies as living sacrifices before God. This is worship. This is our response to the invitation of Jesus to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Paul is saying, hey, as we trust Jesus daily, choosing to believe him when he says it's going to be worth it, this is worship unto him. That's what worship looks like, is getting back up on that altar even when you don't want to. Even when you can't see God working in your life. Even when you don't feel good about your life. Even when you don't, especially when you don't see him. Especially when you don't feel his presence. That presenting your bodies as living sacrifices to God, that's our spiritual act of worship. That's pleasing to God. It's amazing. That requires trust when you don't see, when you don't feel. It requires us to trust that he is working even when we don't see him working. That he is moving in your lives even when we don't see him moving. When we choose to worship, when we respond by giving our yes to Jesus, It's like giving Jesus this vote of confidence, this vote of trust, saying, I believe even though I can't see it, I choose to worship you today. And that requires trust. And sometimes it's true. It's different. The analogy only goes so far, the graduation invitation, like we talked about last week. That only goes so far. Because think about when you got those graduation invitations in the mail a couple months back. And you got the the invitation, and there's a photo of the graduate there, and it's got the precise time that the graduation party is. And it's got the location. You know exactly where to go. Your presence is requested at this graduation or this wedding. Maybe it's a wedding invite. You know the venue of the party. Your presence is requested at this certain time. You know the exact time. You know the people who will be there maybe. 
Here's where the analogy falls short. When we, fo- when we follow Jesus and he extends invitations to us, sometimes we don't always know what we're being invited to. You may have a general idea. You know, Jesus is calling you to forgive so-and-so, but you don't know what that means on the other side of it. Sometimes you don't know, I don't know, what's on the other side of Jesus' invitation. And if I'm honest before you today, that scares me a little bit. And if you were honest with me, you would say the same thing. That that scares you a little bit. Not knowing. We like to be sure. We like to have a sense of um, security. And like, if I give my life to this thing, it better be worth it. Jesus is like, I'm not here to give you security. You see, following Jesus isn't about being certain. Oh, man. Can I preach for a second? Gosh. Hmm. In fact, it's almost, it's almost the opposite. Jesus is almost about the opposite thing of certainty. Because trust, you see, well, didn't you just say that we need to trust Jesus? Yes, but trust is an altogether different thing than certainty is. You can be certain about someone, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can trust them. Good amen there. (laughs) Yeah, following Jesus, yeah, following Jesus has nothing to do with certainty. And he will call you to things on purpose. Thanks a lot, Jesus. On purpose to get you out of the boat. To get me to take a step out of the boat where I'm comfortable, where I'm just kind of cruising through life. And he will say, no, it's time to get out of the boat. Well, if I get out of the boat, Jesus, am I going to be all right? Uh, It's time to get out of the boat. (laughs) But tell me, please tell me, is everything going to be all right on the other side of things? Trust me, Evan. Have I ever steered you wrong before? Trust, trust, trust. See, it's less about following Jesus and responding to his invitation. It's less about being certain of outcomes and more about trusting the character of Jesus. Say it one more time. The the cost of following Jesus is less about being certain of outcomes or results and more about trusting the character of Jesus Christ. And those of you who have been through a little bit of pain in your life understand that that is the absolute truth. Amen. Yeah. Peter was called by Jesus to step over the side of the boat, to walk on the surface of the water. What? It requires courage and it requires a leap to respond to Jesus' invitations. And I guess the point here of what I'm trying to say is that it's not all like about doom and gloom. Let's make a turn here. 
in the vibe of the room. It's not all about doom and gloom. Following Jesus is amazing. This thing of saying yes to him. And I think sometimes, though, we focus too much on what the invitation is going to cost us. And in the process, we forget that there's blessing in simply giving Jesus our yes to whatever invitation that he's extending You know, and I'm running the risk, I realize, of sounding like one of those prosperity gospel teachers that we all know and love. But here's one thing that I do know with my heart is that there's always, always blessing for us when we say yes to Jesus. Even in suffering. When we give our yes to Jesus, it's worship. And when it's truly worship, there's always blessing on the other side. Now, that's another sermon for another day of how we define what blessing is and what blessing means. Yes? But even in suffering, when we respond to Jesus with our yes, that's worship. And when we choose to worship, there's always blessing on the other side of it. You can count on it. Take it to the bank. We don't get to dictate when that blessing happens in our lives, through whom or where. But there's always blessing on the other side of responding to Jesus' invitation in the affirmative. You know, a friend of mine is going through some of this, and we've gotten to journey with her a little bit on this. You know, she sensed an invitation from God to start her own business, to leave her job and to start her own business. I mean, what could be more scary than that? It required my friend to, to like, get out of the boat of what she had known for years of what was comfortable for her, all because of the voice. The voice. The Holy Spirit came to her and said, hey, I'm inviting you into this new thing. You know, you have a choice on whether or not you you want to respond. But I'm inviting you into this new thing. Will you say yes? It took courage for my friend to get out of the boat And start putting a logo on the business and start telling friends about the business. And you never know, all of you entrepreneurial type people out there know how scary that process is. To start something new. Oh sure, there's the joy and elation of just kind of falling into something that's new and not knowing where it's going to end up. But some some of that joy is hinged with a little bit of hesitancy of not knowing. And so I just use that story as of, of my friend starting a new business to say that sometimes it's going to require you and I responding to Jesus saying yes. Sometimes it's going to require us to take a leap, to step outside of what we've always known, to say yes to Jesus. So what stops us from responding to Jesus? What stops us from doing that? A few things. We miss the invitation. We talked last week about how sometimes we, we have trouble, well, a lot of times we have trouble hearing God's voice. And we could spend a year talking about how to hear the voice of God for you. And some people have given their whole careers and theology, their lives to studying this very thing. How do human beings hear the voice of God for themselves? 
as a people, as nations, through history. They've given their lives to it. We said sometimes we miss the invitation. We looked at Samuel's life, the prophet Samuel, and how he heard the voice of God. He had never heard the voice of God before, and he thought it was his priest. He thought it was his mentor's voice awakening him in the middle of the night. Samuel, Samuel, Eli, did you call me? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He wasn't familiar with the voice of God, but he positioned himself by the Ark of the Covenant so that he could hear. He knew that if he waited long enough by the place where God is, that God would eventually show up. And he heard from God. And we learn through the story of Eli and what happened in his journey that sometimes we miss the invitation. We miss the invitation that Jesus is extending for a number of different reasons. One, one reason we miss the invitation is because we second-guess what we hear. We don't move in confidence after we've heard from God. Like Samuel, Lord, is that you? Eli, is that you? I thought I heard, but I'm not really sure. This is where discernment, that kind of, it's become like this Christianese kind of word, but this word of discerning, using your, your heart, your spiritual imagination that God has given you, to discern whether or not those, those invitations that you're receiving are from him or are from someone else. Whether or not those invitations that you're hearing are from Jesus or are just some good idea of yours. There's nothing wrong with good ideas that you might have. But these invitations from Jesus, we can confuse our good ideas with his voice and what he's speaking to us. And how many of you know, sometimes it's good to follow good ideas. But if Jesus is speaking for you to do something different and you just go on your good idea, it's not going to work. You won't experience blessing on the other side of it. So lastly, we prioritize other things, lesser invitations. And here's where we're going to land this morning. There's a story that Jesus tells with the time that we have left together. Jesus tells a story, and he tells another story. Jesus is a master storyteller. They're called parables in the New Testament, because what Jesus is after is sharing deeper truth from a story about everyday life that these people are experiencing. He tells two similar stories. One's about a wedding party. The other's about a great banquet. We're going to focus on the one that a king is inviting everybody to his son's wedding banquet. It's found in Matthew 22. And it goes a little something like this. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened cattle. There's the fattened calf again. You see that? We talked about it in the prodigal son. Have been butchered. 
He's got steak on the table. Uh, Fattened cattle has been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Get ready to be offended. Just warning. Jesus says some offensive things. Friend, friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Youch. For many are invited, but few are chosen. If I'm honest with you this morning, that last half of the parable, a little bit uncomfortable for me to read. A little bit uncomfortable for you to hear? Okay, let's break it down. What is Jesus really after? The story of the wedding banquet is about the story of God's coming kingdom. And in particular, the arrival of his Messiah, the man Jesus. That's what the story is about. That's context. Jesus is speaking this story to his audience. And the the invited people in this story didn't respond affirmatively to the invitation. The invited had other things to do. They had to go buy some cattle in the similar story. They had to go see about some oxen. They, one had to go bury his loved one. Really important things to first century Jews. Jesus doesn't stop there in the telling of the story. He said not only did those who received the invitation not respond affirmatively and not show up, But they went a step further. They even killed the prophets who spoke about the coming of Jesus and burned the city. Burned it to the ground. Killed every single prophet who invited these guests to the wedding banquet. But it's not all bad news, like we said before. (laughs) Here's the good news. Here's the good news. And this may sound elementary, and I'm willing to take that risk because it's Jesus. But the invitation now is open to everyone. Everyone gets in. Go to the streets. Go to the far corners and invite everyone in. Now you see those guests who refuse the invitation No FOMO. (laughs) Now the invitation is open to everybody. Anyone can respond and be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because of who the man Jesus is, because of the cross, his death and resurrection, everyone gets in on this invitation. 
Everyone and anyone can find life in the person of Jesus. That's the good news. That we actually have an opportunity to respond to him. But we come to the puzzling end of this story where one who has actually responded, one of those far-off people who's been brought in by the servants, is like, yeah, I'll show up to that. Sure, I'll be there. And he shows up, and he's not wearing the correct wedding clothes. This is really important. In first century Judaism, when there was a wedding that happened, you had to be dressed in proper attire. You say, hold on a second, preacher. Doesn't, isn't this the same social exclusion that the gospel preaches so much against? Like, how are you going to invite some dude to a wedding and say, hey, look at the way you're dressed. You're out of here. Like, does that make any sense in the context of the gospel? Well, in Jesus' mind, it does. And here's where the gospel gets a little bit difficult for you and for me. Why does this guy get tossed out of the wedding party? He's just, Jesus has just called him into the kingdom. He might smell a little bit. He might be wearing raggedy clothes, and he's tossed off the reservation for it, as it were. Here's N.T. Wright. Quote, Love wants the best for the beloved, people who follow Jesus. When they came into contact with Jesus, their lives were transformed, healed, and changed. Actually, deep down, nobody really believes that God wants everyone to stay exactly as they are. No one believes that. It's true that God loves serial killers. Loves them. God loves child molesters. God loves ruthless and arrogant businessmen. God loves manipulative mothers who damage their children's emotions for life. But the point of God's love is that he wants them to change. He hates what they're doing and the effect that it has on everybody else and on themselves. Ultimately, if God is good, if he is altogether good, he can't allow this sort of behavior at the wedding party. If they don't change to remain forever at that party. Put it, cookies on a lower shelf. The point of the story that Jesus is telling is that he's telling the truth. The truth that political and religious leaders often like to hide. The truth that God's kingdom is a kingdom in which love, justice, truth, mercy, and holiness reign unhindered. Those are the clothes those are the clothes you need to wear for the wedding. Justice, love, 
truth, mercy, and holiness. And if you or I refuse to put those clothes on, what we're actually saying is that we don't want to stay at the party. Can we hear that with humble ears, with open ears? That if I say to God, it's, it's count. If I, if I say to God, I'm, I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. I'm responding to you, but I'm unwilling to be transformed. Jesus says, you can't stay at the party. Look at what Bill Johnson says in his book, The Power of a Transformed Mind. Back to Romans and worship. Having a renewed mind is often not an issue of whether or not someone is going to heaven. The wedding banquet parable isn't about heaven. It's about being transformed. Having a renewed mind is not often uh, an issue of whether or not someone's going to heaven, but of how much of heaven he or she wants in his or her life right now. So responding to Jesus' invitation this morning, to whatever he is extending to you in this season of your life, I don't know, you know, whatever invitation he's extending to you this morning, we can trust him, that on the other side of it is blessing, yes? That we can trust his character, that he's not going to steer us wrong, he's going to lead us down the right path. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we renew our minds, as we worship him, it's about really how much heaven we want inside of us to carry around to those around us. Like, how much heaven do you want to experience on earth? Whether that invitation is going to cost you everything, a relationship, your job, whatever it is, Jesus is worth it. Whether that invitation in the positive is starting a new job, starting a new business, the freshness of a new relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend or someone that you're engaged to. You know, whatever Jesus is extending that invitation to you, he's worth it. He's worth it. That's my encouragement to all of us today, myself included, that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it every second, every minute, and especially when we don't feel like he's worth it. There, especially, is the place that he is. I know I'm talking vaguely and in parables now, but I wish there was just some way, like the real Jesus, the authentic Jesus, the one who doesn't think like you do, the one who has different ideas about your life than you have about your life, that one, that guy, he loves you endlessly. He went to the cross, rose from the grave to prove his love for you, to defeat hell in the grave, to be in relationship with you, and now is extending these invitations to you in this season of your life. Praying, actually interceding for you. Praying that you'll say yes. Going to the Father. Oh, I pray that they'll say yes. Father, let them say yes. Let them say yes. Trusting that he knows better for our lives than we do.